0: Even if you're willing to throw an extra 10K on there, take the 10K, put it into benefits. You can get people to work for less money if you give them more perks, because perks sometimes are better than cash value because of taxes.
1: Welcome to another installment of the Perspective Podcast. My name is Devin, this is my co-host, Mitch Harley, and today we are exploring this new post-pandemic world of uh, jobs and employment and people losing work, coming back for work, uh, work starting up um, where it wasn't possible before, and uh, and how nothing has changed. Um, just before we started recording, this is what, what Mitch was pointing at was... Um, We lost a lot of our workforce in terms of us being, you know, business owners and stuff like that for for a number of reasons, but uh, uh, none of them have really been closely examined. And now that we're kind of getting into this uh, boom thing again, where there's a lot of opportunity, everything's opening up, we're all getting back to work. uh, Nothing's changed and and people are are, uh, taking a deeper look at why they're getting a job now i'm going to start this off with um a a story uh to somebody that or about some something that happened to somebody that's really close to me uh she uh got she lost her job because she didn't want to get the vaccine and um they let her go and i offered her some part-time work to kind of keep things floating as we were going through all of that and she started looking for jobs she's very, very talented, very skilled. She has worked at every one of her jobs for longer than two or three years. She's very dedicated, knows her stuff. Um, she got a job offer. They started talking to her about what the job entails, and it was pretty pretty good. It was a pretty sweet offer. It was about 30 hours a week. She'd be managing um, a whole store to herself. And uh, it started out at, I think, about 60000 a year salary. Um, She asked about benefits. They don't have them. Um, And that was a bit of a deal breaker for her, but she was still open to kind of negotiate that. They threw in a little bit more money. Uh, By the time all of the talks were over, uh, I think it was upwards of 70,000 a year salary um, and uh, less hours. And she turned the job down. And when I asked her why, I was really surprised to hear her response. I don't want to be locked into a place where I'm not going to be appreciated and I don't get to do what I want to do. I've had a taste of being able to do things I enjoy doing in an environment where it's positive and my growth is being fostered. And I don't want to give that up. And so herein lies the dilemma now uh, in people going back to work and getting those same jobs. Nothing's changed and they don't want those jobs anymore. And it's for a number of reasons, which we're going to unpack uh, hopefully a little bit in this episode, but um, I think it's an alarm bell ringing and there's some impending doom that comes along with this in terms of what that means for employers or or business owners or entrepreneurs and how we're going to navigate that in in the coming years. I think the flip side is,
0: man, that that story could be an episode on itself, but... (laughs) There's certain jobs, they just can't be done from home. Like there's no, sometimes there's not flexibility, but there's no way around it. Like retail, somebody working the counter, that's the job. You're at the counter, you're ringing stuff in. The grocery clerk, that's, that's not a flexible position. Now how they're treated and the work culture and, and flexibility of hours and all that, that's different. But I mean the job itself. So those jobs out there need to be filled And they need to be filled with people that want that. They want to show up to a different location and they want that stability, know what to expect every day. And that's just, that's their comfort zone. So those are the people that need that job for their own benefit, their own mental well-being. Whereas some people, uh, especially now, are saying, look, I've proven that I can manage a job without having to go in. With doing it on my terms and doing it with what works for me allowing me to pick up my kids when i need them to be picked up allowing myself to buy groceries not at six o'clock in the evening and i can still fulfill all my tax and be completely uh, productive and i would say some of the workforce uh, employment understands that and they accommodate that and say yeah i don't really care like i want you to be happy Whereas the other ones are saying, no, that tells me that you're not being productive enough. And this is where there's that, that line in the sand of people standing their ground and saying, if you don't believe that the productivity that I've brought to the table is enough, then that's not what I want to do. And I just had a conversation with somebody that said a lot of their work, they're a general contractor. A lot of their work has actually come up from people starting their own business and they need office space or they need whatever space they, they require or a storefront um, because they changed through COVID. They don't work there anymore. And they said, I'm going to start my own thing. Cause I'm tired of working for people that don't appreciate me. He's full all year of renovations for self for entrepreneurs, starting a business. And the push was they got tired of the enforcement of things from employers. I'm not even talking about government restrictions or any. I mean the way employers dealt with their employees through this adjustment period, through this change, uh, th- you know, through these curveballs that every business had to deal with over the past two years. That's where it, it's interesting. And so the other thing that interests me about that story is, if you have a store that tells me you have a few employees, it also tells me if you're looking for a manager of that store, it tells me you have a f- more than a few employees benefits are, are kind of a big deal. Like that one, that one surprised me there. Even if you're willing to throw an extra 10 K on there, take the 10 K, put it into benefits. You can get people to work for less money. If you give them more perks, because perks sometimes are better than cash value because of taxes. Right. So a company vehicle, uh, a phone, um, benefits, these are all things that actually do have a dollar value actually benefit more than necessarily an extra $500 cash. Right. It, it really does. And they're a tax write off for you as, as a business owner. So those little things kind of do, you know, it's, it's kind of another discussion, but it, it is interesting. And to me, it's a little bit of a red flag in itself because do I want to work for a company that doesn't see the advantages of having benefits for their employees or doesn't understand them? And because if either one of those is true, uh, what other problems am I going to encounter with, with this business? Well, um, it's great that having... they're willing to pay me. That, that's cool. Yeah. But there's always a cost. It's always a cost. So what is the cost in order for me to take this job? And that's what I think that employee might have unintentionally put out there or set up, but it makes sense why they're looking for that position. So there's all these things to consider when you're looking for work. Um, and it, unless you got something to add, I think this is a, a great introduction to the hiring process dilemma that is in the market right now.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's actually a perfect segue. Um, the idea that pre-COVID, that it was impossible for somebody to imagine what took place during COVID. Being able to work remotely from home, or even that idea of the digital nomad lifestyle, where you your job lives in a laptop that can be done anywhere. And so if you're able to pay your bills and maybe travel or do other things, you have some freedom and flexibility now. And the thing is, is once somebody figures out that stuff, uh, that's what they want, is they want that, that freedom and the flexibility for them to be self-governing. I, I think that's something that we're all, for the most part capable of, provided we've been afforded those tools, um, in our upbringings, in our lives or whatever. But, uh, uh, one of my clients and a very intelligent man, um, degree in psychology shared this thing with me called complex adaptive systems. So complex, complex adaptive systems are, um, a way to create a group of people that are working towards a common goal that will inevitably achieve said common goal, Um, There are the way this thing breaks it down. It's a chart. There are three sections of it on one side is something I think that everybody is super familiar with uh, that task oriented um, job style, Uh, no freedom or Liberty to do anything very dictatorial. Um, You're told what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And if you question that you're stomped out and made an example of in front of everybody else, And it creates a very, very toxic environment. On the flip side of this, um, there is a very liberal environment. So this is a complete opposite side of it, where nobody is accountable. Nobody is taking any kind of leadership role. Everybody's just kind of expected to live freely inside of the system and do something. But what ends up happening with that is there is no accountability. And inevitably, the machine falls apart. People don't have any type of organization, but there is, a, there is a happy middle here. And I think that this is the evolution that's taking place uh, in that happy medium. It is goal-oriented uh, assignment of work. So the goal is that we have this big project that needs to be done. What parts of that project give you purpose? What parts of that project do you wanna take responsibility for? And then you can go and do that. Now, people make mistakes and mistakes to err is human. And that is understandable in this environment, but it's also expected that you do something about it. And so it creates that accountability and it creates that environment for self-governance to be able to achieve that goal. And I think that when people started working remotely, it afforded them the opportunity to go and do that. And now that things are kind of returning to some level of normal, uh, you're taking that away from them and they don't want it. So when you go to hire somebody now, post COVID, what, what does that even look like?
0: Well, and, and the, the lack of adaptation, and it's not that it's not that they're not adapting, but they're not realizing some of, some of the positives that came from all of this. There's a, there's not very many, but there's a few. And people realize that we can still function as a as a workforce without an eight to five sit in front of a computer day, right? And there are some there is some resistance to that, and I think that that resistance um, will change. It, to me, it's you know it's no different than going from pagers to to iPhones, but there was people running pagers. Long after they were kind of relevant, um, you know, fax machines. Same thing. Like, do you know they still exist? I know. I thought fax machines crazy were dead. Dude. For what purpose? <laughs> like, unless what it's like doing? laundering money for some way. Like, I. Why? I just, yeah. Why? Anyway, but but it's it's kind of a similar analogy. There's always going to be some leftover. But the other thing people have realized too is, okay, so we we try to sleep for you know, six to eight hours every night, give or take. Uh, so we work for eight hours. So that leaves us eight hours to ourselves. So one third of the day is left to ourselves. out of that third of the day, there's uh, commuting to work and then back to sleep. Um, and then there's other responsibilities that we have as adults or maybe parents or whatever it is. So that leaves, to say that takes half that amount of time. So we're literally working and sleeping so that we can enjoy four hours of our day. It's not a lot. It's not a lot of time. So to say, like, oh, I don't, I don't live to work. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't. Unfortunately, the majority of people do unintentionally, and it's not that they love their job. That's why people they call them like the weekend warriors. They live. Friday at five o'clock live for it you know why because the weekend is the one time that they can do what they want and then they dread Monday why do you dread Monday because your weekend's over why do you look forward to Wednesday because it's hump day which means you're halfway through the week every one of those things is how much you hate your job because it's sucking the life out of you people that love their job they look forward to Monday in fact their Monday is Sunday because it's a pre-day and they get to start early and Friday is kind of like, ah, I guess I'll do some stuff for myself, but I really enjoyed my week. And how do you get to that point? Well, it's not in front of a computer for eight hours a day, five days a week. It's not. And even people that are like, oh, I like my job. Do you? Do you like it? Do you like it so much that you would do overtime for free? Right. Not how much you like your job? Some people, yeah. And there's a lot of contractors that love what they do and they'll, they'll stick around after right? Or they, you know, chat with their friends at work. Cool. That's a great work environment. But the people that do not have that are people that realized, Hey, these two years, things have changed. I've still paid my bills. Why have I still been able to function and live and not do what my tradition, sorry, traditional system says I should. Right. Why, why is that? And they don't necessarily have the answer, but it, it, it's this spark. And people are thinking, and now people are willing to take risks. Cause it's like, honestly, what do I have to lose my job? I already did that. Yeah. I already lost my job. So I literally have nothing like I've, and it's not necessarily a scary process because I know that I can go get another one, but that's where the hiring process comes in. And, and people are, companies are struggling hiring right now. And they're like, Oh, there's such a shortage of people there. There is in a way, um, like in the construction world, there's a huge shortage of people. There's a shortage of skilled labor because the demand has risen so rapidly that the training hasn't been able to keep up. So that is, yes, a valid statement. There's a shortage. Um, but in other industries as a whole, there's a lot of people out there sitting at home right now. I, I know a lot of them. Can't
1: get past the algorithm with their resume. Yeah. They, <laughs> so for
0: one, they're searching for a job, but they can't get an interview. Uh, and they had a really good job before. So it's not like they you know, don't have any skills. Um, And then there's people that are just so scared of being stuck back in something they don't enjoy. They've already had, they've already had two years of their life that are unenjoyable, not being allowed to do what they, what brings them fulfillment. So they've been, you know, in that situation. So they're, they're beat down mentally and, and emotionally. And so there's this big conundrum. So how do you attract people to your business to come work for you that are actual, you know, skill, you want skill, you want. The right people in your, in your business. Not everyone's a fit. So that's okay to recognize that. But how do you attract the right people? How do you attract the people that will stay? And how do you attract people that are going to benefit you as an employer? Because in reality, that's why you're hiring people. This isn't charity. We have businesses. We want to make money. And in order to do that, we have to get people to work and do a task that creates more money than they earn so that we can make money. That's, that's not greedy. That's just how business works. So for somebody to go to McDonald's and work there, they have to sell more food and produce more food for people than their wages worth so that there can be profit. So for somebody to be like, Oh, uh, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. No, you're not because you can't, if you get paid what you're worth, there's nothing left over.
1: Well, then, how do you determine what that worth is? Well, and you know, that's, that's another,
0: another topic, but. It, it, it is, it is true. So from a hiring standpoint, you have all these things to weigh out and now employers are going, you know what? I don't have time. I don't got time for this. I'm so busy. I don't got time to hire, which is an ironic statement to begin with because you need more people to, if you have all this work, but you're not willing to take the time to hire them properly. So what do they do? They find the easy way. They say, okay, this person's in charge of hiring or we get an AI or a third party at a huge expense. I don't agree with any of those. Um, Maybe the internal hiring manager, maybe, but because then you have control to make sure that they're doing things appropriately and that they're hiring based on the right metrics that you want as uh, an an employer or an owner. Um, But AI, it's costing people jobs. And I don't mean they're taking away their jobs. I mean, AI literally does
1: what it's told to do. It's very, very good at it. What if you worked at a job for three years? You were super proficient at whatever that task was, or whatever that, you know, job description was. You're very, very good at it. You, for whatever reason, are moving on from that job and you're trying to get a job at somewhere else and you write down on your resume that you have three years experience handling this thing very, very well, award-winning, let's just say, for the sake of argument. When you put that resume in and the AI is programmed to look for five years of experience, you get you get completely missed but you're the perfect fit for the job but you get overlooked and so this creation of this uh, solution to a problem we never had is crushing the 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 workforce the younger it's, it's, workforce it's eliminating the opportunities for people who are more than qualified to do that job. And this goes back to before we started recording the podcast too. We were talking about the, the the difference between somebody who's really good at something versus the number of years they put into it. I can do something for 10 years really bad. Bare minimum, scrape by, but I did it for 10 years. Does that make me more qualified than somebody who did it for 2 at the highest level of performance possible? Now, how are you going to determine that by looking at how many years of experience you've had doing something this uh, a story that i shared with you earlier was uh, a client that i just took on um i found i found them on facebook in a group looking for somebody who had google ads manager experience they wanted somebody who had five years or more i've been doing advertising and shit in social media since before uh, anybody even knew it was a thing like doing google adwords key, the keyword search thing when it was still half a cent for a click back when Bezos was building Amazon. I I get it. I know the space. I've been here for a really long time. Is it my primary focus? No, because I, I seen more and I figured out more and I created a different process that works more efficiently and more effectively. That doesn't mean I'm not proficient in that thing. But the first question he asked me was, well, how many years of experience have you had in, in Google AdWords? Uh, and, I'm looking for somebody who has more experience than the guys that I've been working or that are already on my team. They've had five years experience. So I'm looking for somebody who has had 10. I said, listen, let's just get on a call and have a conversation about what it is that you you think you need and see if I'm a good fit. And if I am cool, awesome. I'm down to do, I'm down to serve you, but don't allow my number of years to dictate whether or not I'm qualified for that position. And it turns out after sitting there and having a conversation with them, it was in the first 10 or 15 minutes of them talking, I immediately knew what their problem was. And it had absolutely nothing to do with Google AdWords. It had everything to do with the fact that they weren't organizing the systems and things that they were putting into place. And so they were completely lost when it came time to uh, optimize, scale up, and, and try and experiment with other strategies. They have no idea. They, they just barely made it to minimum viable funnel let alone uh, all the other things that come with scaling up the efforts that you're doing. So that has nothing to do with Google AdWords. It has nothing to do with how many years I've been doing Google AdWords. It has everything to do with me understanding the systems and processes that exist under that whole umbrella. About an hour after having that conversation, they sent me an NDA and decided to go with me out of all of the other candidates that they talked with. And it was because I was able to show them the qualifications that i had that weren't a reflection of how much time i've been in the space it was a reflection of the qualifications that i had so b- back to your point mitch about this whole hiring process and where we're getting it wrong is we're relying on tools that we didn't even need to begin with and and they're ruining the opportunities for other people i would argue that the only way forward through all of this is to make a a, a dedicated effort to rehumanizing that process allow people to have conversations get your team to talk to other people who are interested in that position and see what they bring to the table regardless of the number of years or the piece of paper listen i can get a degree but if i passed with 61% Am I as qualified as, as somebody who has been in the space for two years and already knows every single thing and has done it to the highest level of his ability or her ability? How many job
0: um, ads out there have we seen that say, you know, re- requirements. So in the requirements ad uh, three years experience with uh, Excel, there's a lot that are like three plus years with Excel. What does that mean? What does three years experience working with Excel mean? Does that mean that your entire job, eight hours a day was building spreadsheets? Or does it mean that you used Excel documents that were given to you to record your data? Does it mean that you, for the past three years, you used Excel spreadsheets to create P&Ls? Does it mean that you created Excel or that you know how to use it? Does it mean you know the formulas to create algorithms within Excel? Or does it mean that you just know how to open files? What does it mean? What are you looking for? You're not looking for someone with three years of experience in Excel. You're looking for somebody who knows how to create formulas within Excel or somebody who's comfortable with using Excel spreadsheets for this purpose. Excel spreadsheets is probably one of the most complicated office programs out there. Its abilities, I, I don't think, I have yet to meet a person that fully understands the full capability of Excel spreadsheets. It is an amazing, amazing program that can completely destroy your life because <laughs> like, it's, it's incredible. One wrong formula. I can attest to this. <laughs> the other day I went into someone and they're like, I don't know, this thing's not working. And I like fixed it in like 30 seconds because I fixed all their formulas and everything. And they're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, ah, oh, you just do this little thing. But I have very, I'm not, I don't claim to be good at spreadsheets, but how I many years create... of experience do you have, Mitch? I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I, I don't know how to say that because my one job, I tracked everything on Excel, and I'm very good at creating tables and formulas and auto summarization and, and numbers and P and Ls. But could I go I, I don't know how to switch to tabs. I don't know how to do drop-down formulas. You know who does? YouTube.
1: It's really good. YouTube's awesome. When you say you want somebody with three years experience using Excel, what you actually mean is I want somebody who has a grasp of how the program functions and the willingness and ability to help me solve the problems that I'm facing and the time to go and YouTube it so that I don't have to do the job because I don't want to do that part
0: of it. But going back to AI, AI goes, no, we can only only hire a candidate with three years experience of Excel spreadsheet usage. That's what AI thinks because that's what it's told to do. And AI is very good at that. So AI is very good at finding someone with three years experience on their resume, because really that's all they have to go on. AI doesn't have a conversation with you about what that experience is. And AI is very good at eliminating amazing candidates who have three years of being around Excel.
1: Maybe no Excel experience at all. Yeah, the algorithm is is only as good as the data that you put into it. That's
0: any computer program. He's yeah. as good as the creator. <laughs> like I've, I've seen people that have been around computers their whole life and they still don't get it and that's okay, but they have the experience on the resume. So that's, that's just one example years of experience. I think is a really good example of how AI is crippling the hiring process and the, and the screening process. I'm not saying AI is a terrible way of going, but it's so easy just to put some boxes in an AI screening process and really endanger your hiring process. Because for me, I look at my resume, like not that I'm job hunting, I mean I got my own thing, but I have a resume, I've always had one. And I look at it and I'm like I don't I don't want to fancy I don't want to fancy it up. I don't want to put on there X amount of years of doing something because I find I'm like if you're only hiring me because I had 3 years in this, I yeah, I have 3 years in it, but I don't really value that. That's not what I want to bring to the table. It's me. I, what I bring to the table, I feel like I catch on very quickly on things. You show me once I'm good at it. How do you
1: explain that to AI? Yeah. Well, let's throw a curveball into this whole situation. Let's say the AI is successful and it helps you find a candidate that checks all the boxes that you, you know, the data that you entered into this algorithm. Uh, and they, so they got three years experience doing the thing that you're asking. They've got a master's degree in this whole thing, but they're a total douchebag they're shitty to other people. They're rude. They don't know how to manage. They're very, I don't know, tyrannical in the, in the style of how they manage people. And when they enter the space, because they checked all the boxes and had all the qualifications and they had a decent enough interview that you were like, "Yeah, well, you're the only one of two people. You're the best option of the two. But then what happens when that person starts working and all their bad habits and their low emotional intelligence comes out? And their inability to properly manage people and they start deconstructing the team that you've built over the last decade for your company Mm -hmm. and now they are causing more problems than they're solving because they're missing and listen we've all done it before we've all talked to somebody who is really really good at looking like they they're a good person and how many I don't know, uh, dates have people gone on where it's like, yeah, this person seems like super cool. Turns out three weeks, four weeks later that they are actually narcissistic and they're gaslighting you and they're manipulating you and they're taking you down in this downward emotional spiral and it screws up your whole life. Like how many times have we had situations where that, where you meet a friend or whatever, This same thing happens inside of our companies. And and how, how are you even going to know that that's exactly what happened if you weren't, you know, cognizantly aware or participating in that process in some meaningful way? Which is why I keep making that argument of uh, re-humanizing this process. Having some ahead, emotional intelligence yourself when you're going through it. But let's carry that on.
0: Let's say AI uh, either got you through the process and got you a bunch of candidates, or you didn't use AI and it was literally going. Because at some point you have to talk to a human that's just yeah you are not going to hire someone without ever meeting them. I think a lot of questions that are asked in those interviews are useless. Aren't even the right questions. They're not the right questions. And it's, I don't think people have been properly trained on how to interview because I see it all the time, especially when you walk through the mall. So this, this one kills me. It doesn't matter what mall you walk through. At some point you will see somebody sitting on a bench outside of the store with a clipboard talking to somebody else or in one of the coffee shops in the corner and they've got their little chart and they're talking to this person. And it's clearly a job interview for somewhere in the mall. Is, is that the right environment to interview somebody? I think it's a terrible spot to be interviewed and it's awkward. And I don't think it's professional to have that. So I think for one, it sets the the wrong tone Um, but second of all questions like, and then I think you, you can argue this one on me, but questions like, tell me about yourself. The dumbest question I've ever heard in an interview and they ask it all the time. Yeah. Like, what do you want them to say? Do you want them to tell me, tell you about their hobbies of snowboarding? And if so, sorry, but why, what is the purpose in that? Maybe there is a purpose for you specifically, and that's fine. But I think people ask that question because it's a filler question. Oh, tell me about yourself. Uh, I don't know. And then if they don't tell you what you want to hear because it was a vague question, then you're like, yeah, they're kind of, I don't know, they talk a lot. You <laughs> ask them an
1: open-ended question. So but now they're about, awkwardly filling in the space, just talking because they don't know it what is. else to do.
0: It is. And so I've been in an interview before where the person goes, look, I looked at your resume. I think there's some really interesting things on there I want to dig into a little bit more. But I've, I've noticed that there's a wide range of, of industries. Can you not justify, but it, it's curious that you've, you didn't just change jobs. You changed like whole industries. What, what was kind of the reasoning behind that? I think that's a valid question. Yeah. Um, so to me and the explanation that I gave them and they were like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But so, in AI would have been like, oh, they haven't been in the industry for this long. But yeah. this guy was like, nope, that's actually a good thing. Um, It gave you some diversity. I like that, and this is why you know relates to a lot of our clients with different industries, and and on and on. One of the other questions that come up that I don't agree with, and so when I was hiring people, uh, you would see you'd see lots of resumes, and they would have like job 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 like every nine months, and some companies look at that and go, oh wow, they're a flight risk. They change jobs all the time. Do you know right now the average turnover of an employee under twenty five is one year? And that's not because they're flighty It's because they're still trying to find their fit. Yeah. And if you're not willing to be that fit, you're not willing to say, you know what? I think you found the spot. This could be a long-term thing for you. But instead you look at a resume and be like, wow, they're jumping all over. They don't know what they want. No, they don't. I think people in their thirties don't even know what they want yet. And especially now after COVID, I don't think anybody knows what they want. So there's going to be some turnover because people are experimenting so if you're not prepared to be a safe place for somebody to work at be prepared for some turnover is important.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was talking to my girlfriends uh, at the time, I think he was 12 or 13 or whatever. And we asked the proverbial question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And he goes, well, I don't know what all the jobs are. And it, it's so simple, but it's so profound. And when you think about that in terms of, okay, there's all these kids out there that also, I don't know what all the jobs are. Even like, even my brother, we were having a conversation last night about how um, we raise our children and stuff. And we have some different ideologies and how we navigate that. Um, I go with the more exposure to the, to the more opportunities possible, the better, because it allows them now to go through that list and say, well, there are things I liked about this, this, and this, there are things I didn't like about this, this, and this, and it gets them closer to making that decision. But if you're already planning that out or making that decision for your child, uh, because you have a limited ability of understanding the different jobs, what a disservice that you're doing. So the question now becomes is when you're, when you're hiring somebody, you're trying to bring them into your team. First of all, uh, is it going to be a place for them to be able to get more exposure to more opportunities and do more things? Or is it just that you need to fulfill a certain task and you don't really care about what that person's doing? And, and, and therein lies the problem. Well, I don't care about you. I just want this task to be done. So come in and do said task until you get so bored of it that you need to quit. And then I'll just hire another person to fill that spot. And then the cycle continues, and this is the problem, right? And I think it kind of harkens to um, that company culture of fostering a, an environment of growth and learning, having many opportunities for many people. Because let's say I get into something, I'm six months into, and I don't like this position, and this has happened to me before. Uh, I started at one place as a sales guy. I'm like, I don't, uh, I'm not here to do sales. What I really want to do is be part of your marketing team, but I'll help you fill this void until you know the opportunity arises. And uh, the great thing about it is, is six months down the road, the opportunity arose. Hey, uh, remember you talking about you wanting to do this thing? Do you want to do that and get into that? Okay, awesome. Now I'm over there and I'm doing that. And that happened uh, as a result of my, I guess, just being inspired enough to know what it is that I want and being able to be comfortable with asking for it and looking for it. And so I think the hiring process um, is a lot like a sales call. And the way I treat my sales calls is not you're a mark and I need to close you. I treat sales calls as in, Hey, how's it going? What challenges are you facing in your business when it comes to things that I know about? Can I solve those problems? I think I can. Here's how I would approach it. Do you think it's a good fit? And if you think it's a good fit, awesome. Then let's move forward with this. So when you, when you're in an interview, especially if you're an employee, when you take that frame of, I'm here to solve a problem. I think I can solve it. So what is that problem that you're having? Can I help you solve it? Okay, well, here's how it would help you solve it. Okay, cool. I'm a good fit. But for the employers, how do you create the interview now to, to follow that framework? Hey, tell me about yourself is a stupid question. It doesn't matter about myself. You're not genuinely curious about me. You're also just reading something that you printed off of Google because you don't know how to interview people. You went on Google and you found a list of 25 questions to ask people in interviews. And now you're looking at them and you're like, so tell me about yourself. What do you like to do on the weekends? These are dumb things. Instead, as an employer, when you, when you have an interview with somebody, I would challenge you to go, hey, listen, prospect. These are the challenges that we're facing in this business. We need somebody to make sure that all the stock is front faced and looking good. How would you approach that? Well, here's how I would approach it. I would walk around the store and in between serving people who are asking questions, I would be making an effort to ensure that the stock looked good. And I get that customers come through and mess shit up. And I'm, my job here is to clean up their messes. And I'm totally fine with that because I get how people shop, right? And that's such a mature, higher level way of of thinking about it or, or looking at it. And I get that some people just don't understand that, but it's your responsibility as an employer in the position of hiring somebody to fulfill a certain role to create that. Here's the challenges we're facing. How would you help us solve those challenges? I don't care what's on your resume I would even if you capable.
0: That. I would tweak that and take it a step further in that question. Because when, when employers and employers or hiring managers, whoever it is, when they ask that question, tell me about yourself. They're looking for something, right? They already have something in their mind that they're like, I need someone who does this. So tell me about yourself and see if it comes to fruition. Well, right. maybe that's not what the person says, but it's not that they don't have that task or hobby or whatever. So just ask them, just ask them blunt. Like you have five minutes to make a decision on somebody. Ask the right questions. Be very pointed. You don't have to be rude, but just ask them straight up. Hey, this job, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we need a product front facing at all times or we get penalized. Okay. Are you detail oriented? Like, are, are you kind of a little bit OCD? No, me neither. This specific job does take that. However, there is these other tasks that might fit you better. But if you tell someone, tell me about yourself and they don't say I'm detail oriented and you're like, ah, yeah, I was kind of hoping that guy was detail oriented. (laughs) Who says that? Who's going to tell you about themselves unless it's like an extreme medical condition? Right. Yeah. Like, you know, people that are OCD usually tell people, hey, I'm OCD. And so somebody who's like, well, this job does not fit that bill or this job (laughs) is really needed for that. But if somebody does enjoy making things straight and, you know, look pretty. Um, just ask them that. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It doesn't mean that they're not qualified or that they can't be aware of it or they can't fulfill the task, but it is good to know because then when they forget something, you're already aware that they're probably going to take some time in order to really get this under their belt, right? It, it opens a lot of understanding and, and a two-way communication, but to just sit there and be like, tell me about yourself. And then you're upset that they don't tell you what you want to hear. Ask them more pointed questions. Ask them questions that are specific and important. I, I watched a TikTok where somebody was like, when somebody asks you what, you know, tell me about yourself, you should have five bullet points set that, that, uh, you know, they kind of give this task and I'm like, but the question should never be asked in the first place. The right. problem is that it is always asked and people get thrown off. They know what's coming and they still get thrown off because they're like, well, you know, I finished college here and then I bounced around to work. No, that's what your resume says. But then why are you leaving it open? They don't know what you want to hear. They want to impress you. So another question. So I got asked this at an interview too. Give me an example of uh, a time you went over and above for a client. Okay. I don't know. I was flipping burgers and there was a hair in it and I moved the hair. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, is that going over and above? It's not in my job description. I went over and above. Like, Is that what you're looking for? oh, you know what? No, there was a customer that broke down. So I drove on my own time and I never got paid for it. And I picked them up from Utah and I brought them home and fed their dog while they were gone. Like, is that what you want? You want some superhero move from this person that you're paying $15 an hour to? Like why? And what are well, you expecting? And if you ask that question because they're like, well, we ask that question because we want to know if they're dedicated to their job, then ask them, ask them. Have you consistently been dedicated to your jobs or have you found struggle with fulfillment in your past employment? That's a legit question. People are like, yeah, I've bounced around because I just haven't found somewhere that fits. Okay, well, this is what we offer. We try to accommodate this. We try to bring this to the culture. We try to have team building exercises. Is that something that interests you? What a more pointed, useful question that actually benefits the person than these vague hypothetical situations that would never be relevant. And then people are like, oh, I just can't find the right candidate. No, you're not asking the right questions. And you're eliminating people based on ridiculous metrics. We, we already talked about years of experience, but they look at resumes, they prejudge. Resumes to me, uh, I don't know, I have very mixed emotions on resumes. I understand they're needed and I understand they're important, but they, they're so incomplete when it comes to finding the right person. You know how many resumes I've looked at where I'm like, yeah, this person's pretty interesting. And I look at them and I'm like, no, they're not right. They, they literally they false not falsified information but they prettied it up and you mm. look at a lot of uh, resume coaches like on linkedin there's a lot of them they say hey let me help you build your resume why why like what are you going to do well the wording different you know the cover page should be good so i'm really being overlooked for these roles because i didn't put color on a cover page like why do i work at a university like who who cares and for hiring managers that only care about the aesthetics of your resume. Like, well, sorry, but that is not also, a culture you get, I want to be a part of.
1: Yeah, you get 10 resumes that say the exact same shit over and over again. How are you going to choose from that now? Mm-hmm. I and mean, I mean, it does call for people to do something at least differently to stand out. But you want the job, so you're going to say all the right things. Yeah, it's I'm, easy. I'm dedicated it's easy and I'm focused and I'm self-motivated and I am task oriented and I can pay attention to detail. And everybody writes that shit on a resume. Yep. Prove to me that you are those things. And how am I going to get you to prove those things to me? Well, here's the challenge I'm facing in my business. Is that something that you could do? How would you approach that? What would you do in that situation? How would you handle it? To now me, I can, can see. Yeah. Now I can see that you're a
0: good fit. Or that you're not qualities. Like how well do you work with other people? Because even on a, on a solo task, you're part of the company. Mm. So how well do you work with people? You know, I really enjoy being around people. I find learning and collaborating. It's a big deal for me. I can work independently, but I like that. But I, but you know, I prefer working as a team. Okay. So in their mind, it's like, you know what, this guy's probably not going to enjoy the job because I do need him to be by himself. Most of the time I, I need an independent person on this one. So I don't want to set them up to fail, but I like the guy. So do I have a role for him or am I just kind of being selfish in this? Like those questions need to be weighed out too. And I think a lot of that is overlooked um, because people get a little bit of tunnel vision. And I think that people applying need to be aware of this as well, this conundrum that it's kind of an archaic way of hiring people that's still being used. And On the other extreme, there's companies that are like, you have to talk in metaphors on some, you know, multiple choice questionnaire in order to qualify for an interview. Like who wrote that stuff? How does that qualify you to show that how you treat people or how you deal with an angry customer or how you would deal with, you know, these problems that arise that you expect your employees to deal with on a regular
1: basis? You know, how how do you judge someone's temper? Cause a temper People's, is a problem. Yeah. Uh, people say one thing, but they do another. And this is really fantastic because it ties something in. Uh, you shared a video with me this morning uh, about a couple of employees mm-hmm. who walked out of their job in the middle of a shift, left the phone ringing and, and the place of business, just as it was, there was not only a risk, but also there's a lot of customers that are now, uh, you know, out and, um, Yeah, I can say, when you ask me, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. How would you handle an angry customer? Well, I would stay calm. and I would try to diffuse the situation and I would do my best to meet their needs. The reality is, is I'm going to get too fed up one day and I'm just going to walk out. I'm going to leave because I don't care about your business, but I needed the job. You're the first person that called me back. So I took the job. Right how's that serving anybody?
0: Mm -hmm. So I know the struggle, like there's going to be an argument to people that hear, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of people that are like, well, how do you tell what someone's truly is until you experiment, you know, and and try them out. That's true. Hiring people is always a risk. It literally is because their life changes too. circumstances change. They go through a breakup or they have a loss or something happens, uh, you know, some extra bills and stresses come on and that affects their job performance. That's, that's just, that's just life. But, yeah, there's going to be some risk, but if you overlook talent because of experience and throwing money at people is not a—that's not the answer. Mm. Um, just saying, oh, just deal, just keep dealing with it. How about we give you a raise? We'll throw you a care. This is a classic example. So I have a client that hates her job, hates her job. Um, there's certain things that she likes, and then they realized that she was probably going to leave, so they gave her this massive raise and a promotion. And she, she comes to me and she's like, you know, this, this is turning out really well. And I'm like, well, well, let's back this truth trolley up for a second here. Um, what has changed? What has changed in your job? Well, you know, I'm making more. No, 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 Let's not talk about money. What has changed in your job? Well, nothing. So is the wage increase worth putting up with the same garbage that you've been dealing with for the past two years? Is it, going to, is it going to fix all of that and make you happy where you're never complaining about any of that stuff again? Well, no. Do the good days at your job outweigh the bad days? I think, that's a, I, I think that's such a fundamental question because we all have bad days at work. We all have stuff where we don't get along with people or whatever. But do the good days that you find joy at your employment outweigh the bad days? And if you cannot answer yes then something is fundamentally wrong and money will not fix that. <clears throat> so yes, the hiring process, the, those things have to be addressed. And yes, there's certain questions that need to be asked that people may think oh, are, are redundant. Like, why'd you leave your last job? But, but that question should not be a threatening question. It should not be used as ammo against that person. It should be genuine to say, "I don't want. if I bring them on, I don't want them to leave. So what made you leave that last job? I didn't, wasn't being fulfilled or the pay wasn't enough for what I felt. I was okay. So then you get that answer and it's like, okay, so is that problem going to reoccur? Is this a different situation or is it going to, whereas some people take that question, why'd you leave your last job? Like a judgmental thing. People leave jobs all the time now for multiple reasons. This isn't, we're not in the days anymore. of Someone's been working in a job for 50 years and they punch their boss in the face and they're looking for a new job and they're a danger. That's not the situation anymore. <laughs> so stop asking stop using these questions as threats but it sh- that should be a valid question I noticed this on your resume can you just kind of go through it with me but if you're not trained well in how to interview people and you just ask these i don't know questions that really mean nothing how do you expect to find the right candidate how do you expect to find someone that's going to actually be who you're looking for that has nothing to do with their Excel experience. No, <laughs> it, it really doesn't. I was told what? on one that I was extremely qualified. They really liked everything, but they were just really looking for someone internal. Then why are we, why are we talking? Like what? I don't know. You just told me that I was perfect uh, for what you are looking for, but I didn't already work for the company. Hmm. That's a conundrum. You know how to fix that? Hire me
1: or look internally instead of externally. Why are you interviewing somebody externally
0: then? Yeah. This formality of posting the job so that they can say that they did their due diligence. Stop wasting time. Stop wasting people's time. It's a flag that shows that you don't value people's time. Or their emotions because someone could get really excited that there's a job posting that there's an opportunity that they've been looking for and then it's like well we we did we did offer it outside the company or we did offer it internally but in reality they're going to hire someone externally anyway like stop playing games with people
1: right well imagine the harm that does long term for you your business your company culture and all the other things productivity and profit margins if, if you set the frame up right from the beginning, that you have to be tactful and manipulative in the way that you ask questions to, uh, you know, get somebody to say something that gets them that job. They already know people are not idiots, at least for the most part. They already know that you're being manipulative. So that now sets the frame for how they operate inside of your business. And they act in line with that. And so now that disrupts the company culture because everybody's trying to manipulate everybody else. And that's just, so that's the environment that you're fostering. And now how does that reflect onto your customers? If a customer, like if if an employee doesn't want to help a customer, they're going to get really creative in how they manipulate those situations now to not have to serve that customer in any meaningful way, because that's just how this company works. I saw it way back in the interview. Now you're hurting your profit margins. You're hurting the people that you're serving. You're hurting your business's reputation. There's so much more that happens as a result of that that pre-frame initially when you're building out a team of people, when you're trying to bring or attract people into your uh, vision, into that mission of of what it is that you're doing. So so to combat this, uh, what do you think is a good place to start for for businesses I've made the argument that rehumanizing this process is, is going to be the most beneficial um, that is very broad and very vague if there was you know a specific um, you know thing or element or the, the big domino that's going to knock over all the other dominoes what would that look like to you
0: I think you have to be clear on what you're actually trying to achieve um, and I think a lot of businesses or hiring managers aren't and you know a really good example of that is something uh, that i'm seeing kind of take place right now uh, with one specific business and they're looking for the wrong thing. They've had candidates come and come and come and ask and, and, and apply and they're sitting there going, no, they don't, they don't do this. They don't do this. And I'm like, but that's, that's not what you're looking for, right? That's what you expect of yourself, but you own the business. So, of course, you should expect that from yourself. You can't expect that from somebody that comes on as an employee. So, what is not just the spot you're trying to fulfill, but what is the purpose of that spot in your business? And when you fully understand that, then you can say, okay, you know what? To fit this spot, it's not just about working with Excel. Because literally in a day, we could train everyone to do the exact tasks that need to be done. Training is, training is like the last thing on the list. I want to find someone who is reliable, who is eager, willing to learn. I want somebody with these traits and these aren't traits that you can find on a resume. These are traits that when I ask the right questions, they can tell me an answer that puts them in line with, with those traits. Nobody's going to, everyone's going to say, Oh, I'm super eager to learn. Cool. Um, Does that mean they did well in school? No because I did terrible in school, but I love learning.
1: The eagerness to learn too, is a, a, a like a double-edged sword? Because on, on one hand, I value somebody who is constantly in a state of learning. That's an opportunity for me in my business. And I recognize that. But to somebody else, it looks like, oh, he's not qualified because he doesn't know all the exact things I want him to know to do this yeah. job. How is he supposed to know all the exact things to do that job? The way that you hire here in this business, even though it may be adjacent to another, one. let's use clothing retail as an example. Well, if you're working at like Urban Planet, that's very different than working at a Louis Vuitton store, mm-hmm. right? If dealerships. If you're working at a Ford dealership, that's very different than working at a Lexus dealership. I'll tell you from firsthand experience, I went to a Ford dealership. I was hard-pressed to find somebody to even talk to let alone purchase a car and then when i did it was some sneaky little salesman dude who was like trying to rope me in to do credit and all this other it, it was a very horrible experience i went to a lexus dealership afterwards And I walked in the door and there was a a really nice lady at the front counter waiting there to greet me. And when she greeted me, she brought me over a bottle of branded water. It was like water that had Lexus. It was all like, looked like a crystal and shit. I had my kid with me. She went in the back and got a teddy bear, gave it to my kid. It was like, somebody's going to be with you very shortly. Uh, In the meantime, here, help yourself to some coffee and some snacks. You can sit in our lounge. It was these beautiful luxury chairs. So what's the difference in training there in those two different environments? but they're both the same thing. Well, but the, the, the one, one is different training. qualifications,
0: but the other thing too, is knowing your business well. And what can happen a lot of the time is they hire someone. So say they want someone at the front and I'm not, I'm not saying it has to be a girl, but a lot of times it's, it's a nice bubbly because it puts something at ease when you see, um, a lady, when you walk friendly, in, it, it, just, it, it yeah. really does. It makes yeah. a difference. Um, so you walk in and when you hire someone, You get this nice, eager, really bubbly, then it's like, man, that's the personality that I want at the door. When when someone walks in, that's who I want them to be greeted by. But if you don't understand your company well enough to realize that the culture you've created actually will jade that person after a while until the point where they won't greet people excited and bubbly and happy, and then they leave, it's going to happen again. So when you hire people, you have to, you have to understand your business very well. You have to understand all the moving parts, what some of the bumps in the road are. And then when you hire someone, you have to think about that in the background. It's not just, can they do the task I need them to do? Are they going to fulfill what I need them to fulfill in this entire role? It's a bigger scope. So if you're hiring literally to get someone to ring things through, bring items through at a, at a till. Well, I don't even understand why you're, why you're going through an interview process because it's physically capable. Anyone can do that. So hire the first person that walks in. Well, and, and, but they don't like that answer, but I'm like, but that's the truth. Cause that's what you're hiring for. You're not hiring to add to a team that's going to grow and expand your business. Yeah. You don't need a degree or a high school diploma to do this. Don't, don't ask Beep. them about themselves. Beep. <laughs> don't ask them. Yeah. Don't ask them to justify what they do on Saturday. Yeah. Because you literally only expect them to do one task. So if you're hiring because you want to add to the team, ask questions that are relevant to what you actually need in your team. What are you missing in your team? Stop thinking about the task. What are you missing in your company? You know what? I'm missing somebody that brings, brings people together. So I need somebody that can fulfill some tasks, do some productivity, but that really draws people. I need somebody that when I sit down with them, I want to tell them my life story because you can get that feeling from people. And that's what AI doesn't do. And sometimes a hiring manager can overlook that. But when you you know what your team, yeah, or maybe you have a bunch of chatty Cathy's in your office and you need someone that can kind of work through that and keep some productivity going without, you know, being uh, a rebel rouser and, and really ruining the environment. You can get that feel from people. And that's when you want to find someone a little bit, not task oriented, but goal oriented in a mechanical process. They they're a little bit more determined and focused on efficiency. Sometimes there's this, there's, you know, this good balance within a team. So you don't want to hire the same personality. And that's why a lot of companies have started going to making you do these tests you know, these personality yeah, yeah, I tests test. and that I, I, I mix emotions on that, but going back, I've said this before about Red Bull. If you apply at Red Bull, you have to go through the Red Bull, you know, life passport. But what I like about that passport is it's pointed, right? It's very, very specific and it's clear vision. So even if you don't get a call back, you're like, you, you have a very clear defined view of how you're perceived <clears throat> and it can actually help you in your next process. So, That to me is a very smart hiring way. Whereas telling someone that your you you know your color came out as purple and we're looking for a green, well, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And I don't think it means anything to the company because I don't even think they understand
1: what value that is. Yeah, and this calls to the importance of some of the work that we do. Yeah, Uh, I guess the the audience and the viewers have no idea that we've been working on this in the background, but we've created this uh, solution path that. Um, in all of our experience working with all of these different companies, there are always these key elements that need to be worked on, need to be established, and then need to be um, implemented. And unless you are somebody like us who has gone and had all of that exposure, there's no way you're ever going to even begin to grasp most of this stuff because you don't know what you don't know. And 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 that's the beauty of, of of some of the work that we've been able to do is is to to outline some of that and our the foundation of all of this uh, starts with creating that company culture, understanding your company not just from the product or service uh, mentality, but but from the larger impact and mission uh, that you and your company are on, and uh, you know a lot of people think that this has to be some. Uh, world-changing, groundbreaking thought process or, or, or thing. But uh, Cam Roberts on our, our last podcast talked about how important it was for him to establish that mission statement so that anybody that came into that team and that environment uh, could connect to it and understand that their job was to be the premier parking lot service company in the greater area. Uh, and maybe nationally, internationally at some point too, uh, that guy's super brilliant and has a lot of, uh, opportunity ahead of him that I'm sure he's, he's working on capitalizing on, but that's also because he's got that foundation already built. So Mm -hmm. if, if you're a company who is struggling with that stuff in, in any capacity, there's tons of ways that you can figure that out. There's a lot of people that you can go read books, you can uh, attend seminars and all that other stuff, or you could reach out to us and, and we can help you establish that framework in a more meaningful way. So uh, I think this might be a really great place to kind of leave things off unless you had anything else to add. Let's well, just to
0: say with Cam, like with that mission statement, you know, it makes it very clear for him how to hire. Like his hiring process would be very simple because he knows exactly what would work and what won't. And I think so many people are lacking that clarity that they, yeah, they mishire all the time. And it's, it's a bad result for both the employee and for the employer. And then there's this, you know, weird tension after they, they part ways, but if you had at the beginning known exactly what, what the, the mission was, it could have been shared and it gave that person an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to fit. Like that's, that's a, that's courteous to do that. And I think just in closing, I always use like a sports analogy. You know how much time and research goes into before a team signs a player? Oh God, tremendous amounts, huge amounts. Cause they're talking millions of dollars right, on the hope that it's going to work, but look at teams that win, win, whatever, whether it's the super bowl, Stanley cup, you know, whatever it is. Is the team comprised only of 20 year veterans is the team comprised of only rookies. Is it comprised of only goal scorers? It's, it's a mesh and the right chemistry and the right mesh wins it all. And teams teams have put, tried to fight it. They've tried to outscore their problems. They've tried to just have, you know, pay a, a goaltender to be $50 million and they, You know, don't spend any money anywhere else because they'll outsave their problems. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Why do teams not have only Wayne Gretzky's? They need a well-rounded team. And so before they choose somebody, even if they're coming in at a really good deal, is this going to work? What is his outside? What is his life, right? Is he a mess right now? Do we want that drama in the change room? What what is the culture that he's going to come? Do you know what Stanley Cup teams have dismantled certain players because it's like the chemistry was wrong. There was something going wrong and it was dragging everyone down. It was going to eventually impact their performance. So they made some changes. This happens all the time. And I sports is a business, it's an industry it's based on money. It's the exact same thing as anything any of us are doing, except we just do it with different Like, you know, we're in different spots, but at the end of the day, if you're trying to build a team, go to sports, look at how they do it. Look at the winning championships. Why? have teams not won after Tom Brady left, right? Not that Tom Brady wins every single year, (laughs) but Tom Brady is a very integral part of success. And it's not just because he's a really good quarterback. It's not just because he's extremely good at throwing the ball. It's because that guy's so well-rounded in his on and off field abilities in a team to inspire people, to build their confidence. There were guys that were retired that came back to play with him. Why? Why? that says something about somebody. Yeah. So, you know, how many times do we see that people will draw other people, not just because of their success. There's lots of people that have won Super Bowls. If they went out of retirement and went to play for a team, would would a bunch of other retired people come back with them? Ah, Maybe, maybe not. But Tom Brady's proved that people will come out of retirement to work with him. That says something that's, that's worth it. That's worthwhile.
1: Yeah. I mean, knowing that's it, a being value. Clear. That's an asset.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Being clear and, of what, like and knowing what you bring to the table, Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman. Perfect example. Dennis Rodman has one of the worst shooting records in NBA history, but you yeah. know what he's really good at getting the ball back. So when they put him on that bulls team, that first year, they put an extra 20 baskets in, just because Rodman was able to get the ball back and get it to Jordan so that Jordan could do his job well. Yeah. And that's the importance of having that team. this is the moneyball effect. Yeah. Right? Anyone who wants to hire, here's my last piece of advice for this episode.
0: If you want to hire and you want to hire well, go watch Brad Pitt in Moneyball because it is the best example of hiring based on overall team success than just looking for that one-off all-star that you probably can't get or find or afford. So it's don't try, don't try, create. And if you can create opportunities for people that have been overlooked, they will work hard for you. And they will come at a, honestly, from a selfish standpoint, they'll come at a bit of a discount. Let them grow you so that you can benefit them and pay them more and treat them better than what they've been treated in the past. That movie shows what a team was willing to do As they succeeded together, your business is no different. You have the same opportunities to do it. So when you hire, don't make the same mistakes that's happening right now with these archaic ways of bringing people on with ridiculous metrics or AI and missing good opportunity and talent because it's happening regularly. And the businesses that are starting to realize this are actually getting some really good candidates and they're getting some really good, uh, in a sense, competition to work for them. That's really cool does not happen a lot, so I, I think the businesses can take a big lesson from that. Um, and I hope that there's some value from this that uh that people can take.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, as always, if this podcast has helped you out in any way, like, share, comment, follow, give it to a friend uh, who you think this would help. Um, if you want to see some of the work that we can do and how we can help you visit uh, theperspectivepodcast.ca check it out there there's a little form on there if you're interested in working with us Um, let's have a conversation see how we can help you Uh, until next time we'll see you in the next episode